Can we read first in Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53 and verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Jehovah hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Acts, got Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2. Acts 2 and verse 36. Let the whole house of Israel therefore know assuredly that God has made him this Jesus, whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And having heard it, they were pricked in heart, and said to Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do, brethren? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For to you is the promise unto your children, and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Those then who had accepted his word were baptized, and uh, were added in that day about 3,000 souls. It's been said that the glad tidings shows you that your position before a holy and righteous God as a sinner is far worse than you dared imagine. But it puts you in touch with a God who loves you far more than you dared hope. I want to talk briefly tonight about God's response to your lost condition. And your response to his provision to meet that condition. Where do we stand tonight before a holy and righteous God? We're all sinners. Anybody disagree with that? I don't actually know everybody personally here tonight. I don't know everybody in Belfast, but I know that we're all sinners. It's the most inclusive group you could possibly imagine. Everybody, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't match up. We can't meet the standard. We can't even help ourselves. We're lost. It's important to understand that it's not that you will be lost. You are lost without Christ. One of the greatest scriptures about the gospel is John 3 and 16. And it tells you everything about the gospel. It tells you how much God loves you. It tells you that you're perishing. It tells you of a God who gave his only begotten son to save you. The cost was immense. That's why I don't want you to be trivial about your position before God tonight. Because he has moved at great expense to himself. To provide a saviour for you. 
And salvation is in none other. <clears throat> People don't like that, you know. They like to think there are various ways to reach God. There is only one way, and that's through Jesus. No one comes to the Father except by me. God's response to your lost condition is absolutely marvellous. You know, we spoke about what happened in the garden. And man was given a very small test. Would he obey God or would he disobey God? And he disobeyed God. And death has passed upon all. For all have sinned. You can't blame Adam. Adam was responsible for the incoming of sin. Scripture makes that clear. But you are responsible for your own sins. Adam and Eve coated themselves, clothed themselves with coats of skin. And people are doing with fig leaves. And people are doing that tonight, you know. Providing some sort of cover, hoping that they can merit God's favour in some way. You know, you cannot earn God's favour. There's nothing you can do to come into God's favour of your own doing. But the great thing is, the only qualification you need to receive this marvellous blessing is to be a sinner and to accept it. And everybody here qualifies. Every single person. Christ is the saviour of sinners. Thank God that what it showed in the garden, God's question was, where art thou? Man was lost. That's where he was. What has thou done? Man was guilty. That's the position of everybody in the world tonight. Lost and guilty. But thank God there's a saviour for the lost. There's a saviour for the guilty. Can you say from the heart that my guilt was borne by Jesus when alone at Calvary? What was God's response to the incoming of sin? It says that God gave them coats of skin and clothed them. Read the scripture carefully. The the fig leaves would never have done for God. Only the coats of skin what he provided. In other words, something would have to die to provide that covering. God gave notice right at the outset what he was going to do in response to the fall of man. Isn't that wonderful? I think of God, you know, wanting to bless his creature. God loved his creature. God loved Adam. He loved man. Think of him not able to express that love to man. Think of his desire to bless man. But be not able to do so righteously until Christ came. What shall I do, God said? What shall I do? I'll send my son. That was God's response to your lost condition in mine. The righteousness of God had to be met, absolutely. Although he wanted to bless man, he couldn't do so because his righteousness and his holiness wouldn't allow him. (coughs) 
so Christ comes Christ came to explain the heart of love of a saviour God how would we have ever known how God felt about us if Christ hadn't come I have come to seek and to save that which is lost God waited 4,000 years to bring on his man. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son. Come of a woman. Come under law. Yes, he came as a Jew. That he might redeem those under law. That we, all of us, might receive sonship. That was God's desire to bless you and I. That's why Christ came. And you know, was that life sufficient? God has studied your life, you know. Have you thought about that? God's grace follows a man through his whole life. God's grace brought you in that door tonight. God's grace followed that thief. Throughout his life, and placed him next to the only man that could save him in the dying moments of his life. Grace is the greatest power in the universe. The life of Christ gave nothing but delight to God, the Father, the first man that he could declare his delight in before or since. But your life has been studied. I wonder what way you're on, you know. God said to Balaam, the way in which you are is for ruin before me. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's the end of those who think that good works will get them to heaven. You see, well, if if anybody's there, so-and-so will be there. No. The only person that will be in heaven is those who accepted Christ as their saviour. That's the only basis that God can accept you tonight. Mm. But men are trying all kinds of things to merit God's favour, to live a good life, to go to church. I don't want to be flippant, but somebody said, you know, that going to church no more makes you a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. Think about it. People think that they can become a Christian through going to church. That they can uh, somehow hope that in the end, the good things will uh, rub out the bad things that happened in their life. That's the lie of Satan, you know. The life of Christ had to be laid down in death before I could be brought into blessing. God required that a perfect sacrifice be made for sin. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, every one of us, and turned to our own way. You know, my way is better than God's way. No. 
What has he done? He's laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Think of the cost of that, you know. Think of Christ in the closing moments of his life. We touched on it yesterday. What it meant for him to contemplate what lay ahead of him. The awfulness of what lay in that cup. The sins that you and I committed. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God. You know, God commends his love to us tonight. Think of God doing that. Commending his love to us in the glad tidings. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There wasn't a spark of good that merited that. God moved from his own side in pure mercy. If you deserved it, it wouldn't be mercy. Remember that woman pleading for her son's life to Cromwell. He was condemned to die. And he said, do you think he deserves it? And she said, no. It wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. You deserve judgment. We all deserve judgment, but God is extending blessing through Christ. Sufferings of Christ calculated to affect us. He goes into it earlier in the book, verse chapter 52. His visage was marred more than any man. Read through what happened to Christ. Be softened by it. Think of a hundred men, a whole band attacked him uh, I've said it before but there was an actor who was to play the part of a Roman soldier and he wanted to get into the part before he started and there are places in Rome where you can go and learn how these men were trained and he said he was shocked by the barbarity of these men and what they were taught. Ten, a hundred of them said about the Lord. He was unrecognisable. He was unable to bear his cross. He was so weak. What happened to Christ that the hands of man will yet be answered for? The Roman Empire will answer for that. But what happened at the hands of a holy and righteous God? We shall praise him eternally for. These three hours of darkness and the whole matter of sin and sin was gone into. You know, sin is not forgiven. Sins are forgiven. Sin is dealt with. The pressure gospels, Matthew and Mark, bring out the severity of that judgment against the sins that you and I had committed. There was no angel to strengthen him. 
the storm of God's judgment burst on his head. Do you know that was in no way lessened by the place that he had in the Father's affections? Mm. He bore that sin as if he committed it himself. Only he did it vicariously. My friend, he did it for you. He did it for me. He who was rich for our sakes became poor. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is what Christ has done for you. We can't enter into the hours of suffering. But we know that the judgment was exhausted. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Think of the first time in the annals of eternity where there was a break in communion between the Father and the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he was the sin bearer. God turned his face away as he became a sin bearer. Don't trivialize sin, dear friend, tonight. Don't trivialize sin. It's cost too much. Then he says, it is finished. It is finished. That's one word in Greek, you know. It was written on the bottom of invoices when they were paid. And it means paid in full. That's what it means. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. All of your sins were future to Christ when he died for you. When he shed his precious blood for you. There was nothing left to be done. You can't add anything to the work of Christ. It stands there for eternity. God is satisfied with that precious finished work. And you are not saved by your appreciation of the blood. You are saved by God's appreciation of the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. He saw the blood at Calvary's cross when that soldier pierced the side of a dead Christ. The Lord died. He gave up his life. And after he shed his blood, it was a separate act. Blood flowed from the side of a dead Christ. What an answer to the hatred of man. Think of God's response. I love it. God's response to the hatred of man was the blood of Christ. It was available for that soldier. It's available for you tonight. If you're not sheltering under the blood of Christ tonight, you're in very dangerous ground. Can I appeal to you tonight to come to Christ, to accept what he has done, to stop trying to earn God's favour, to do your best and simply come as a lost sinner. God be merciful to me the sinner. The publican wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. That's the way the blessing, you know, repentance. Only God requires a man at faith in Christ 
his well beloved son and that's what happened at the cross you know we indeed justly for we receive the just recompense of what we've done repentance towards God but this man has done nothing amiss faith in Christ divine light shone into that thief's heart oh that it'll shine into someone's heart tonight you know the light of who Christ is as a saviour. The alone saviour. Salvation is in none other. For neither is another name given under heaven amongst men. Whereby we must be saved. Oh dear friend. You must be saved. Well. Loving hands took him down to the cross. How unusual that would have been, you know. Normally they just cut the ropes or cut the nails and they drop down and the hole was dug at the foot of the cross. That's what usually happened. Joseph and Nicodemus took the nails out and took the Lord down. That body that the Godhead had been resident in was cared for. Mm. Not a bone was broken. It was laid in death. Do you know the one that brought in death as a result of sin had to come under its power to save me, to liberate me from its power. You thought about that? I'll never know what death is because Christ bore it for me. He went there for me. The believer in Jesus will never know what death is as a penalty. But Christ faced death in his terrible power. The Jordan, you know, was full over all its banks at the time of harvest. What Christ faced in going into death, we'll never know. But it was the curse, it was the judgment of God. But death couldn't hold him. He gave up his life because death would never have overtaken him. Death will overtake every one of us. Even if we're believers, death will overtake us. Because we surrendered our right to live through sin. Even Methuselah, death overtook him. Christ gave up his life and took it again. Because death couldn't hold him. And he's alive to die no more. And the resurrection of Christ is a vital part of the glad tidings. Because if Christ is not raised, you're still in your sins. It was like the receipt that God was entirely satisfied with the work of Jesus. That he brings him out of death. Where is he now? He's in glory. And the gospel of God's grace is streaming from the glory. Streaming. That's the heart of God. Out in blessing. Wanting all men to be saved. Everybody. All men have sinned. And all have been offered salvation. Isn't that wonderful? Whosoever believes on him should not perish. But have life eternal. Executives and California are trying to figure out ways of extending their lives. (coughs) 
and freezing their bodies after they die in case the technology catches up and they're able to be brought back. What folly! Tell me, life is freely available through faith in Christ. Now, what's going to be your response to the glad tidings tonight? That's the challenge. Peter <coughs> preaches a word to them and they're pricked in heart. What do we do? What are you going to do? You know, your response to the glad tidings tonight will be registered in heaven. Just be careful that your response tonight is not taken as your last answer. Just be careful. You may not get another opportunity. Said in our case, you know, we'll hear you again concerning this. We'll hear you again. They never did. They never heard Paul again. Don't trifle God's offer of salvation. Close tonight with his offer. Today, if you hear his voice, the Lord may be speaking, I don't know, but he may be speaking to someone personally in this room tonight, calling you. You've heard the gospel before. This is another opportunity. Come to me. We don't know about tomorrow. It's a day of salvation. We know about now. Come to Christ. Where you are in your seat. It's so simple. Is it too simple for you? Is it too simple to accept God's view of what you are as a sinner? To accept that and to claim Christ as your saviour. It's so simple. Even the simplest believer, even the youngest here, can accept Christ as their saviour. You know, the one by wisdom has not known God. But God is pleased by the foolishness of the glad tidings to save those who believe. Mm. Isn't that wonderful? You know, it's offensive to the Jew it's foolishness to the Greek, the learned man, it's foolishness. But to us, it is God's power and God's salvation. Well, how are you going to respond tonight? These persons accepted Peter's word, they accepted Christ as their, as their saviour. And 3,000 persons were saved in one gospel preaching. Somebody said, now it takes 3,000 preachings to save one. Well, it's God's matter. It's nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with us, whatever. Nothing to do with the preacher. God works. The word goes out from faith to faith. You say, I don't have faith. God will give you faith. To believe in Jesus. To accept him as your saviour. Like the jailer in Philippians, you know. Sirs, what must I do? to be saved. It doesn't even say that Paul preached the gospel. He probably did. But what they were doing was singing and praising God. That's what they were doing. Just remember your life could be the most potent gospel you ever preach. Stuart was telling us yesterday of a, a young man whose mother was concerned about him because he wasn't saved. And she knew of a preacher that was coming along, a good preacher. <laughs> we like good preachers. We've known good preachers. But she begged him to come along to the gospel. 
and eventually agreed. And on the way home, he said to her, I gave my heart to Christ. And she says, oh, that's wonderful. She says, what was it that was said? He said, it was nothing that was said. He said, I looked up to the ceiling and one of the lights was out. And God showed me that that was me. Isn't that wonderful? God can use things to explain, to show you where you stand and to present Christ to you. Oh, will you not come? Will you not say, I can't speak about what will happen tomorrow. You may never hear another gospel preaching. These doors may be locked and never opened again. Such is the reality of the days in which we are. The coming of Christ is very, very near. There's nothing else to happen when he comes back for those who love him. Is that your hope? Is that your joy? Do you know Christ as your saviour? May you respond to the glad tidings tonight and accept him for yourself for his name's sake. Amen. I could not do